Hello, everyone. This is Sports Council. I am here with my friends Gav and G, and we are here to discuss the 2020 NFL Draft. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Uh, kind of been inside all day, but you know, that seemed like the new norm for everybody today. Yeah, pretty much the same for me, too. It's just like, hope everyone's doing okay. It's corona. Keep your mental health up. Yep. Um, we are still under quarantine. It's been a while, but we're making the best out of the situation, and we're still doing these podcasts. So, again, we want to discuss the 2020 NFL Draft, and I know it's been a while, but we feel like it is still relevant, considering that there has not been really much sports going on. And we wanted to start off the conversation with, obviously, the first round in the draft. And maybe you kind of have forgotten over the past couple of weeks, but it has been kind of interesting in terms of the headlines there, especially in terms of C.D. Lamb, the projected number one best receiver in the draft class out of Oklahoma. He did not go where he was expected to go. He actually fell all the way to the Dallas Cowboys, who were a surprise suitor, I think, for him. So, Gia, I want to start it off with you. Why do you think that C.D. Lamb fell so far in the draft? And there's always one player that does, but why, did, why was he the guy? I think for C.D. Lamb, a lot of the teams that were drafting receiver – they found receiver needs in different type of players. Like, um, I think the biggest surprise with their teams drafting receiver was the Raiders drafting rugs. Um, but if you really do take a step back and look at it, it made more sense for their type of organization where they run around that West Coast offense. They have speed, and John Gruden is a speed type of guy. So it makes sense for them to go out and get rugs. And between him and Jerry Judy, is a 50-50 toss-up. You can't really go wrong either way. So... Yeah, maybe a few teams that could have drafted him passed up on him. And, you know, maybe they'll look back in a few years and regret it. But it kind of makes sense that even though there is a lot of receivers, that first few weren't going to go that early because teams would just say, we can wait around on a receiver because there's still a Justin Jefferson late in the first round. There's still Jalen Rager in the first round. There's all these other receivers that you could get. You don't need to go out and reach for one when there's other positions that we need to address. Yeah, and I totally agree with you, especially the part where it is a loaded wide receiver draft class, right? So maybe it makes sense to maybe not trade up for a CD Lamb, and it would be fine to do that because there's so many wide receivers with a first-round draft grade on them. You talk about, yeah, Jalen Rager, Justin Jefferson. T. Higgins was one of them. He was drafted in the second round with the first pick in the second round by the Bengals, as well as, you know, Brandon Ayuk. So, um I think that makes sense. I think the most illogical part of it, though, was the Raiders selecting Henry Ruggs over C.D. Lamb, and especially his Alabama teammate, Jerry Judy, who had a more successful college career. But yeah, as you can tell, like, John Gooden loves speed. But that, I think, was the more like, mind-boggling move, and that's probably why C.D. Lamb fell so far. And, you know, it's just... <laughs> I think that, you know, maybe it's just a matter of preference when it comes to wide receivers. Because C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy offer two different things, right? I think Jerry Judy is a more silky kind of route runner. He's kind of better at kind of running routes than maybe C.D. Lamb is, while C.D. Lamb's more of a physically imposing kind of guy, kind of like DeAndre Hopkins. He's like, and he is a yak beast. He can go for the yards after catch. He can kind of be that big number one guy that you're looking at here. But, you know, the Broncos, maybe they wanted kind of someone different, right? They wanted that silky route runner because they wanted kind of a more uh, nuanced offensive scheme. And maybe they felt like C.D. Lamb wasn't their guy. I was unfortunately disappointed to know that the Niners did not draft him right after the Raiders basically drafted Ruggs. I was 
over the moon basically with the chance of landing Lamb. And unfortunately, they decided the same thing. But I guess, you know, Shanahan said that Lamb and Ayuk, they graded them at the around the same price, but they just felt like they needed a defensive tackle more than they needed a wide receiver because they knew they could get a wide receiver later on. So I understand the logic behind that. And that's probably why other teams, that's probably why um, what other teams felt like. And that's why he felt so far. I just don't understand, like, I understand that you want to, you want some of that fits your system, but I mean, usually when you do like drafts, right, it's like you choose the best talent, right? Mm-hmm. You, you Talent always trumps like scheme, scheme fit, right? right? So choosing rugs, I think rugs should have, they could have just, <laughs> it's just like, why do you have two premier, like now you have a Mark Cooper and like Lando. Yeah, I mean, I really wish the Cowboys made that decision, right? They they got the best player available, I think, for them. The Raiders, I feel like, if you want yeah, a number one wide receiver. It was a knock right? on the Raiders. Yeah. If you want the number one wide receiver, right, because, you know, we all know what happened with AD, right? So we, they need that number one guy. But now you don't have that. You, it doesn't feel like Ruggs is that number one guy. It's like no. that's kind of that knock on him. He's just all speed, and I'd say he might be more, but, um, you know, he has to prove it first. I think it was interesting that you see the Cowboys or the team that end up drafting CD um, makes a little bit of sense. He is from Oklahoma, which is basically Texas. Um, he's like very, very need for a Cowboy in a sense that they showed that they don't, they had a lack of depth at their skill positions last year when Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott really missed him. You could tell by his stats on the field that he needed another weapon out there, but it also gives them a chance of moving maybe a Michael Gallup or, you know, even maybe a year later move Amari Cooper, even though they just signed him, it gives them the option if they want to. I think that's one big thing. And it comes down for them. That was their number one receiver going into the draft. And to get him at 17 is a pretty good value. You know, they're probably projecting that he'll be done, be, be picked by the 13th or 14th pick, you know, but he wasn't, he was still up there. So when you're, even though it's not the biggest need for your team, if that value, if your number one is there, you have to go and get him. And I think that's what the Cowboys thought. Well, is it the best pick? I don't think so, because there's a lot of other things I would address with the Cowboys first, but we'll see where they go. (laughs) Yeah, I think that, you know, they just went for value over kind of positional need. And, you know, history has shown basically that that has worked out for a lot of teams. And Jerry Jones is going all in. But basically... Let's pause a what if for a second here. If the Cowboys knew that C.D. Lamb would fall so far and they would be able to pick him up, would you still sign Amari Cooper to that $100 million deal that he got? I think if you look at Amari Cooper's second half of the season against New England, against the New York Jets, against, I'm forgetting third, the Philadelphia Eagles, Amari Cooper showed up on the road, very small, multiple games, and even though he's overall puts up great numbers, you are not getting that value for him that you first gave up. I think the only reason they really wanted to sign for him was that they traded their first two to get him. So if you're going to trade first two, your first two first round picks for him, you might as well make sure he stays. Cause it's like, then it's like if you traded all of those picks away and now you're going to let him go, what was the point in trading the picks? So it's kind of more of a, we have to back our decision that we made two years ago to get Amari Cooper. And fortunately, in economic terms, we call that the sunk cost fallacy. But 
Either way, Jerry Jones fell into it, but he was still able to land one CD lamb. And I think it will probably go very well with the Cowboys, assuming that they signed Dak. <laughs> assuming that they signed Dak first, but that's a whole other thing. We're here to talk about draft. And speaking of the draft, let's talk running backs. There was a lot of incredibly talented. This was an incredibly talented offensive class in general, but in terms of running backs, there was a lot of uh, great talent on the board. DeAndre Swift out of Georgia, Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin, J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State. But the first running back off the board was actually Clyde Edwards Hilaire to the Chiefs at 32nd overall. He was kind of seen as uh, maybe like a sleeper pick that people would kind of like see in the third and then he'd just go off. But the Chiefs made their move. Patrick Mahomes wanted Clyde. He got Clyde. But let's talk about it. Who do you think out of all of these running backs is right now in the best situation kind of in the NFL? Um, I'm going to have to go with DeAndre Swift and Detroit. I know that seems like a why would you pick someone like that who, even though he fell in the second round, he's still going to a great situation in Detroit. Um, they need a running back. Even though Carrion Johnson, in my opinion, is still a good running back, he shows that he can't be there full season, game after game. He's going to be hurt. That's, I mean, that's how it is. So you still have to go out and address your running back situation. The Lions have always been seen as like a more of a passing offense. So going there and getting a second guy like that for them, it shows that they're trying to become a more run-dependent team. You wouldn't take two running backs in almost back-to-back years with carry on now DeAndre Swift if you weren't planning on running the ball and running the ball a good amount. And I think just for that reason alone, that that shows you that they're going to go out and run the ball maybe 20, 30 times a game now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, DeAndre Swift, I think, arguably, I believe is the best and most talented running back in the class. It was, unfortunately, mind-boggling. And, unfortunately, it's going to be frustrating for fantasy football owners seeing another shared backfield. But you got to address those concerns with carry-on being injured. You can't, if you can't dependably rely on him for the entire season, maybe it's best to split the carries, right? I would go with another uh, running back who's found himself into a split backfield, and that's J.K. Dobbins with the Baltimore Ravens. I think that J.K. Dobbins, if you've seen his career at Ohio State, it was phenomenal. It's like they are a running back factory out there. You know, you got Carlos Hyde, you had Ezekiel Elliott, and now you have Dobbins. I really believe in this kid. Unfortunately, I hate Ohio State, but that's a different topic. Either way, J.K. is going to be in a great situation with Baltimore simply because Baltimore has committed their offense all to the run game. And they have been able to assemble basically a team of basically power rushers in kind of Mark Ingram. And Lamar Jackson himself is kind of um, – he runs more than any other quarterback in the league. And then call they've got themselves – Call it how you see it. Honestly? <laughs> honestly? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But either way – his offensive line, they're absolutely built for the run. And they have these tight ends that can go out and run block and kind of go out and catch some passes for him. That's what makes the Ravens so lethal because they have such athletic tight ends that they can um, disguise basically either as run blockers or they can go out and catch some passes. And now you have basically another young and incredible running back in the wings in J.K. Dobbins. And he's going to take over for when Mark Ingram is basically done in Baltimore. But at the same time, we've seen that, you know, Mark Ingram has been able to thrive in the shared backfield, especially with, you know, we've seen him with Alvin Kamara. Maybe he might not like it in Baltimore because he literally left 
a shared backfield in New Orleans to go to Baltimore to be the guy. But you also can't reliably depend on him, right? He also got hurt at the end of the season. I think I think the problem with that with that backfield is that Lamar Jackson is always going to have the ball in his hands through mm-hmm. read options, passing, and a lot of run plays, QB design runs, and that will take away so many carries that are usually they'll go to a running back. And already they already have Mark Ingram, who's not as a explosive running back. He's a running back that's really primarily based off touches. So mm-hmm. adding someone like J.K. Dobbins, who is an amazing running back, who is probably, I think, the second best running back in this draft after Swift, mm-hmm. um, just takes away from him. And there's obviously no Baltimore's committed to the run. Will they keep running? How many more carries could he get? I, mean, he, I think he's in the range for seven to ten touches a game. And just with that many touches, I don't think he can succeed. I think that's – a fair argument to present, but I think also at the same time, Baltimore runs more than kind of any other team in the league. So those mm-hmm. touches to Lamar Jackson, they are basically kind of extra touches that no one else usually gets, right? And then at the same time, J.K. Dobbins, I think, is in the best situation because of the carries that he gets. If it's a lighter load early on, he's able to still learn the system. And we'll get into that later, but it's going to be hard to learn the offensive system for rookies this year. And I think that being able to kind of rely on a veteran like um, Mark Ingram and kind of learn from the system and then still be able to kind of get his carries in, share the workload a little bit. And let's not forget, you know, he could be a threat in the receiving game. That's what I feel um, J.K. Dobbins can offer that Mark Ingram can't offer as much. And I think that it can make him more versatile, right? And I think that could put him on the field a lot more so than maybe Mark Ingram will. I think we're going to eventually see a transition where – J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram are going to just basically literally split each carry, basically. And then eventually to the point where J.K. Dobbins becomes the main guy and then Mark Ingram will be looking elsewhere. Because right now the running back situation in this league is, you know, we use, <laughs> we basically use you up for as many carries as we can until we can kind of dump you for a new guy. And I think J.K. Dobbins is that new guy and Mark Ingram's time is unfortunately coming to an end soon. I like both of you guys' points, but I think that Jonathan Taylor is in, like, the better um, running back option just because, like, one of the main things is, like, their offensive line that the Colts have. I think they ranked, like, third last season. And um, what's it called? All of their starters are back next year. I mean, You got Quentin Nelson, yeah. right? Yeah, so, I mean, like, well, that's a really good one. Like, yeah. And so, like, um, I know they have Marlon Mack, mm-hmm. but there's he's not, like, coming out of college. I don't think he was as, like, um, re- like he's not as highly regarded as a – Jonathan Taylor was, and so like they may split, but um, having that offensive line that will like give you space to like run, I feel like that would be like the best thing for them. And they have Philip Rivers; he's not like a cannon anymore like he used to be. So like, I don't think that what's it called, uh, Frank Reich is just gonna make him throw anymore, especially since he had how many picks like last season? I don't know, but it was too many. <laughs> it was too many, so I feel like they put on the ground more. I think you bring up a great point with Phillip Rivers. Usually with aging quarterback, you want to put more running back, heavy favored offenses around him. And even if you look at their receiving court, it's not the greatest. I know they drafted, uh, I think it was Michael Pittman, and they already had T.Y. Hilton. I mean, yeah. they're great, but Phillip Rivers is not going to go out there and throw the ball 40, 50 times anymore in his career. You know, And you don't want him to be doing that either as a team. You want him near 30. So and mostly, you know, a lot of it's going to be a lot of play action because you have Mac and Taylor back to back. 
I think this is kind of similar to the Ravens where they're going to be turning into a run-heavy team. They're just mm-hmm. missing the mobile quarterback, obviously. Exactly. That's what, exactly what I was going to say. There's a lot of runs there in that system. And I think the Colts, again, they run more than anyone else as well. They're like one in, in the top half of the league, I think, in terms of rushing attempts. That's why Marlon Mack, maybe he's not the best kind of running back, but he's going to get you those yards because he gets so many carries. But again, we're trying to split snaps here. We're trying to split carries so that both of our running backs can be fresh, right? Yeah. And then Jonathan Taylor, he's accustomed to it at Wisconsin. He's got a lot of carries. He got a lot, a lot of yards. So I think that's a great situation for him too. Unfortunately, they're all shared backfields, so we're just going to have to see what's happening. But, you know, it's not a guarantee for any of them. And unfortunately, you know, when it comes to kind of shared backfields, for fantasy-wise, these rookies kind of get a downgrade, right? We kind of see it every year where, you know, we're hoping for that one breakout running back to kind of shine um, out of nowhere and kind of just carry our team to victory. I don't remember if there was a rookie running back this year. Do you guys remember if there was a guy that, you know? I think um, <laughs> there's a lot of hype over David Montgomery, right, with the Bears. And I think – Miles Sanders was a good one that came out of Philadelphia last year. Yeah, Dan Jordan Howard. <laughs> and was was Devin Singletary a rookie last year? Uh, Devin Singletary was a rookie last year too. Yes, I think yeah, he was probably oh, Josh, Jacobs. Josh, Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs. There you go, Josh Jacobs. Mm-hmm. Probably Josh Jacobs. But no, he he only had one person in that backfield, right? Himself. And luckily, the Raiders didn't uh, draft anyone. I think they believe Josh is their guy. But now I want to pose this question to you. Which rookies do you think will make the most impact for fantasy purposes? And it doesn't just have to be for running backs itself. They could be in like wide receivers like CeeDee Lamb or in a quarterback maybe. So who do you guys think? I'm going to have to go with uh, a very well-known name, I guess, for a rookie. Um, Jerry Judy in Denver. I think it goes for, for rookies, it's all about fit and what type of team you're going to. I think if you look at the Denver Broncos, they're poised to be that second-year quarterback-led team that makes a big jump. And I do have them making that big jump is why I'm in on Jerry Judy. Because I do think Drew Locke is going to be a really good quarterback this upcoming year. I am. They'll probably be top second in their division. Obviously, they're not going to be better than the Chiefs. But if you look at the, if you look at their team, they have every piece that you would need. They have Cortland Sutton on one side with Jerry Judy on the other with Noah Fant in the inside as a tight end, with Melvin Ingram and Philip Lindsay at running backs, and Drew Locke, the biggest question mark of that offense. If he is good, you'll make that whole offense to the next level. And the defense, led by Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, they'll get off the field a good amount, giving the offense a chance to be a very good offense. And if they are, they could be one of the teams, as you see, make that Feel a big jump when they draft that second that, that second year quarterback like Mahomes did, like Lamar did. You know, it could be Kyler, it could be Drew Locke, you know, that make that big jump this year. So let's see. I think that the Broncos are poised to have that big season. And I think Jerry Judy in that type of system where there's so many weapons that everybody's gonna get theirs. And for a rookie, that's a lot that's all you can really ask for is that they get theirs. Cause you can't really ever with a rookie have definitive like like answer that they're going to get touches you know a lot of rookies are held back and especially with this type of coronavirus they they're unsure unsure about will there be a good rookie Um, Matt you want to talk about that 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And first of all, I want to bring up your point. I think Jerry Judy, I think the Broncos massively was able to replace Emmanuel Sanders with Jerry Judy. Both of them are very similar in terms of their route running ability. And I think that being able to kind of get Jerry Judy where they were in the first round is an amazing grab. And I think it's going to really help Drew Locke kind of open up. I think they're giving Drew Locke almost all the keys to success right now in terms of offensive weapons. I'm not quite sure about that offensive line, but we're just going to have to see about that. But I think they did a very good job in getting Jerry Judy. And I think he will be very successful in Denver. But I wouldn't draft any rookie, basically, in fantasy football at their projected pick right now. And here's why. I think that learning the offensive scheme is incredibly important and incredibly underrated when it comes to fantasy purposes because, you know, you don't want to kind of go into that kind of stuff. But it's true, right? If you, you need to basically, when you're looking at fantasy football fits, and you're seeing like a new player in a new system, right? Let's say with Le'Veon Bell to the Jets, right? You know Le'Veon's a star, right? But you have to consider the system. You have to consider the offensive scheme. And sometimes it's going to take a while for players to get accustomed to that scheme, especially when, you know, they've been a part of one team for their entire life. With Yeah, in terms of that, it's Le'Veon with the Steelers, right? Now he's going into an Adam Gase-led offense, which is mediocre in and of itself, but the same time you kind of have to get that learning process going and you know he was able to do well but at the same time his offensive uh, line was not that great so you know there's a variety of factors you have to consider and now we have this um COVID-19 crisis going on and you don't know when these guys are going to come into OTAs and training camps they might not even be like the same kind of training camps we have before right they're probably going to have some social distancing guidelines or something like that and, you know, that doesn't stop them from getting a playbook, but, you know, practice makes perfect. And you have to be able to kind of show your coach what you're made of and being able to kind of beat the guy in front of you. And there's going to be a lot of players out there. Let's say like J.K. Dobbins, he's not going to be able to beat out maybe a Mark Ingram if he doesn't have the same amount of uh, reps as he does in training camp to kind of prove himself to John Harbaugh to start over him. Same with Jerry Duty. I think that, you know, there's a couple of guys maybe in front of him. I don't really remember who else is there other than Sutton right now. But let's say there was like a second-year player or a third-year player that's still trying to prove themselves. And they might have an edge over a Jerry Judy just because they know the routes that they're going to run, right? Or they've been with the same offensive scheme as they were before. CD Lamb, it's going to be hard to beat out Gallup just because, yeah, he doesn't have the same amount of uh, time in the system. Although, you know, it's a different system now with Mike McCarthy. But at the same time, Gallup has probably had a lot more experience kind of just in the training camp mindset. But either way, I just would not basically give any fantasy, like rookie, a lot of expectations in terms of fantasy football-wise. I would probably give at least one round downgrade from every projected round that they are in right now, just because I want to add in that factor. Because I don't think that the experts are really considering this right now. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you. But, like, you got to... I feel like there's actually one person that stands out, like Clyde okay. edwards Hilaire. Dude, like, you, because it's the Chiefs, the Chiefs offense, you don't really rely on the running backs. We already saw that last year. It's, it's basically Mahomes. Very true. Or check it out. You can just plug him in. He doesn't have to. I mean, you would want him to know, like, the entire offensive scheme, but, like, you can, they can plug anyone in. They had, um, what is his name? Uh, Damien Williams. Yeah, Damien Williams. And, like, he's not a premier back. Like, you can, you could, he's, I could feel, I feel like Clyde is a step up. And so, 
that just adds to the, the offense. I think in terms of, you know, receiving yards, right, I think that the Chiefs' offensive scheme has a lot of kind of passing ability, right? And I think that Andy Reid would love to have a running back that goes out and is able to catch passes for him. And I think Clyde edwards Healer, he's very good at kind of doing that thing. And I think that's something he offers more than maybe uh, Jonathan Taylor or a DeAndre Swift does. I'm not sure about the J.K. Dobbins, like why he would draft him over J.K. Dobbins, but I think that Clyde edwards Healer is kind of that third down kind of scat back that is able to kind of go out into the offense and kind of line up in the backfield and kind of run routes, basically. For yeah, you, you're going to see him in a lot of sets that these Chiefs have not had before. It gives them another option on their offense for Andy Reid to make more, even better play calls because you know as Andy Reid loves making – these created plays where, you know, you have Mahomes line up on one side and then you'll have Travis Kelsey in the backfield. Maybe you throw a Clyde in there and throw a screen to him or you have – you throw him in the slot and have Damian Williams out there. You still have that threat to run the ball. I think it's just that exact thing that they'll always keep you guessing on what they'll do in the next play. You know, you can never predict the Chiefs. And when you finally thought, oh, the Chiefs are just all one-dimensional, we just kind of learned how to stop them in the past and they're not going to really run the ball. They draft a running back to where he even can run the ball if you need him to. We've seen it at LSU at big game after big game and against great defenses. Uh, Clyde was able to go up against them and have great, game, or great games, and you'll see him have very big weeks and a very low week. I think that's why one of his fancy downsides is they could win a game 40-7, to seven and he only gets five touches. It's very highly – it's likely that that will happen many times throughout the season. But there also be games where you'll just get a screen or two and take them all the way down and get you five, six points from one play. And that's really what you're signing up for. The Chiefs offense and Clyde, they just mesh so well. But he's going to get lost in a lot of games. Yeah. Just think about the potential that Clyde has within that Chiefs offense. I think that they might model him, honestly, after Christian. And – I don't think he might be as ca- talented as McCaffrey, but I think that the Chiefs' offensive system could kind of give him that kind of scat back role where he's definitely able to go look out at him as an Tyreek Cohen role for me. Mm-hmm. As he will make it running back touches, but you see Matt Nagy, who ran, came from an Andy Reid system, you see him move Tyreek Cohen all around the field, motion screens kick return, power return, all of that. And I think that's what Clyde's going to do. Andy, Andy Reid's going to get really creative with him. That's actually a better analogy than mine, actually. <laughs> Honestly, now that I think about it, that's a good one. Let's uh, move on right now, and let's just talk quarterback now because none of us picked it. Either way, um, there was a couple of surprising quarterback moves, especially starting with the first round with the Packers selecting Jordan Love, um, trading up to select him too, and then with the Eagles selecting Jalen Hurts in the second round, despite not an apparent quarterback need. Then the Patriots didn't select anyone. So I want to go into Jordan Love for a little bit, if you don't mind, because I think it is both a good move and sort of a questionable move right now. Because let's talk about the Packers situation right now. You lost to the 49ers because the 49ers were the best team ever. Mm -hmm. And also, you didn't have a lot of weapons for Aaron Rodgers, right, necessarily. That has been the complaint all season long, and it's probably been the complaint for many seasons now, that Aaron Rodgers does not have enough offensive weapons. He has to carry the entire team. I think that's um, over-exaggerated by the media just because 
Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback, but you have to acknowledge that he's been declining just a little bit. But that's also why you need the offensive weapon support in order to make sure that he's still able to kind of run the offense to at his best and still have the offensive weapons to kind of provide it when he can't, right? So you need that opposite that wide receiver that can line up opposite Devontae Adams. You need that um, maybe tight end that's not a declining Jimmy Graham, right? Mm-hmm. And what did the Packers do? They literally got no wide receivers in every round. With their first and second pick, they drafted probably the, if you would think about it, the most two secure positions they have with quarterback and running back. They <laughs> took Jordan Love, and second round, they took A.J. Dillon when they yeah. have Aaron Jones. It's very surprising to see what they did. Fantasy football owners scream everywhere again. Exactly. But either way, now let's talk about the good side about it, though. Jordan Love is the project. And we all knew that coming into the draft, right? There were comparisons to Mahomes, I think. And I think that's obviously over-exaggerated. But again, that's kind of what Mahomes was in the draft, a project that could become a star. And that's why you have to draft him in the first round. The Packers are taking away from the playbook that the Chiefs had done basically a couple years ago with Mahomes, but also the same playbook that they did several years ago in 2005 when they took Aaron Rodgers in the first place. You had an aging Brett Favre, who is the exact same age, actually, as Aaron Rodgers is right now, back then with the Packers. And maybe a replacement is necessary to groom the next successor to the quarterback mantle of Green Bay's very storied history with Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And, you know, I have a feeling that Aaron Rodgers is going to be just as inviting as Brett Favre was to him. But we'll see what happens. I think... We One have to, things yeah. you can look at from here is I think what you just said at the last point is very true. I think Aaron Rodgers' career in Green Bay is done after this year. I think this upcoming oh, okay. year will be his last year. And I heard a report that says unless there's significant changes where um, they get him more talent or help, he's probably most likely not coming back. And mm-hmm. I think that's very, very likely to happen. And second of all, um, people when draft when they drafted Jordan Love said. What about Aaron Rodgers? What about Aaron Rodgers? But you have to remember that the quarterback had ties with Mike McCarty, who is not there anymore. Matt LaFleur does not have that same relationship that Mike McCarty did with Aaron Rodgers. This is a new quarterback or new coach that's thinking about his job and how he can get the Packers to the next level. And he's thinking about the future and the future of his job. You know, if he puts all his – stakes into Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers still decides to leave and he's going to be put in a bad situation. So that's what he's thinking about. He's thinking about his job and what he can do to protect the Packers future, which, you know, today might not seem like a great pick or for the rest of the season, but in two to three years, you know, you're going to look back and be like, you know, they were probably pretty smart about drafting that quarterback early because now next year when he's familiar with the system and maybe Aaron Rodgers isn't there, the company with the new first round pick they do get, they can build something around Jordan Love. Mm-hmm. And I completely agree with you in the fact that a new coach usually wants their guy at quarterback, right? They usually have a vision in place, and it involves their players, right? That's why when Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch came into the 49ers, they literally got rid of, like, I think every single player from the, the old regime in a matter of uh, from April to August, like, that was it. Like, I think like 49 out of the 53 players that were on the roster were different now. So mm-hmm. I agree with you. Like Zach Taylor, when he came in, 
He got rid of basically Andy Dalton after his first year, and now he has Joe Burrow. Brian Flores, same thing. Now he has Tua, right? You always see this case where your first-year coaches need their guys at quarterback, and they're going to go out and get their guys because quarterback is the most important position. But also, I want to make the case where, you know, Jordan Love, and I know I just made this comparison, but with the Packers selecting Aaron Rodgers in the later uh, round of the first round, you basically have to say, like, oh, yeah, they're doing the exact same thing with Jordan Love. They're just picking him later, and then they're going to groom him as Rodgers' successor, just like Rodgers was with Favre. The thing is, Rodgers was the best quarterback in that draft class, and people knew it. It's just that the 49ers fucked up, and they picked Alex Smith uh, first overall. (laughs) Rodgers was the best quarterback out there, and people knew it. We don't know if Jordan Love's going to be that same guy. So it's not the same kind of comparison here. Mm -hmm. Love is a project. He is a project. So he's still going to go out there. He's still got to develop because right now there are some serious questions about his game. I think you also have to consider that they did trade up to get him. It's not like he fell in their lap and then you just like the Cowboys, did you just take who's best available? Mm-hmm. It's that they went up and they knew that, okay, that's our guy and we want to go get him. That says a lot. That that shows you that they're fine without Rodgers, at least in their opinion, which would mean a lot of people would beg to differ and say that the unless Aaron Rodgers wasn't there last year, they probably wouldn't have won almost what they win 13, 14 games last year. They yeah. wouldn't want any of those games without Aaron Rodgers. And I think that's a very true point. You lose at least four or five of those games, if not more, with Aaron Rodgers not there. And even if you had a Jordan Love or a rookie quarterback, you're not winning games against competent football teams. You know, um, they have a hard division. They're in the NFC, which is always going to be stacked. So they, they have to figure out what they're doing. And I think that's very similar to what the Eagles did but the Eagles pick with Jalen Hurts is even more confusing because if you look at that, about it. You, have a court, you have a quarterback who was, well, we at least thought was well-established and had a really good season before he got hurt two years ago and was in the MVP race, which is an undebatable thing that you can't say. If he was healthy, he could have easily won MVP that year, and we're talking about Carson Wentz as a different person. But now you have Carson Wentz, and – when I said what I what I said about the Lions is the same thing I'll say here is when when a team drafts that tells you what they think of their situation at that position. You know, Lions thought they were weak at running back, they draft another running back. So the Eagles, they think they were weak at quarterback. They had an unreliable backup. You go out and you draft a quarterback. You know, I think just because of that last playoff game where you didn't have Nick Foles as backup, you were really like, wow, we don't have a backup, and Carson Wentz got hurt again. Like, what are we going to do? And I think that's for that exact question is why they drafted Jalen Hurts. You know, was it the best value? No. But this is one of the picks where you address a need. And then they did have a need at backup quarterback. And I think that's why they took him. I don't think he's going to be much more of a backup for them. They say they're going to use him in a Taysom Hill role, which is a very bad comparison, in my opinion, because Taysom Hill is a bigger, sturdier, you know, type of a quarterback, whereas – Hurts is a quarterback. A smaller gets a lot of creative, like I would say, more of like a uh, RG three type of quarterback. You know, um, he's not going to be the most durable if you're going to put him out there and try to make him your fullback or your tight end. I don't even know how that would work. Like Taysom Hill is not a very good comparison for what they're trying to say. So I think that tells you that if Carson Wentz gets another major injury next year, you know, they could just move off of him. You know, and there will be teams lined up to get him, you know. 
So it might be a situation where they're saying, hey, Carson, you really got to show us something here. Show us that for a full year you can stay healthy and win games, you know, into the playoffs. Because Carson Wentz hasn't played a playoff game yet. I think people are really oh, confused about that. You know? kind of I'm right. a big fan yeah. of Carson Wentz. I think he is a really good quarterback. But you're only – the best ability is availability, and he has not been very available. So for that reason, they drive for Jalen Hurts, who is going to be a backup, and I don't see him coming out on the field that much. But the day he gets hurt and Jalen Hurts goes in, he'll have a chance to take that starting position and keep it. We'll yeah. See what happens. But he has a lot of talent, basically. Carson Wentz this year. Yeah. He's talking about QB surprises. I'm a Patriots fan, and we didn't drop anybody. <laughs> oh, my God. We left the, the mantle of our, our kingdom to a Jared Sidham. Oh, man. Jesus. But honestly, I'm okay with them not drafting. It, I, I hope it means that we're just getting ready for the next season. Because um, everyone knows that Trevor Lawrence is, is it's, he's going to be he's going to be in the draft next year. Please I hope that. that we left that spot open for him. We drafted a bunch of like defensive players. Uh, we drafted tight ends. Tight ends, a bunch of tight ends, which we needed. So Bill Belichick always playing chess when everyone's playing checkers. He's waiting for the next season. I mean, everyone's saying, though, which is kind of crazy, that Jared Sidden is going to be the next, like, he's going to be the answer. I, but I, I really do see where Patriots are doing, though. If you think about it, you were correct right there, Gab, that they're just testing the waters with what they have. They have maybe a capable starter, maybe not. Who knows until you give them the option to start, you know? They're giving Sidden the chance to start. If it doesn't work out, there's Fields and T-Law, they're right there next year for them to take which are probably going to be great quarterbacks. And there's not many quarterback teams that need quarterbacks. You know, you got the Jags, who would probably be the worst team in the NFL and try to get to tank. <laughs> but, I mean, Fields is there. And even if, you know, there are not many other needs on the Patriots right now, you could trade a first round and your future first round for a higher pick. If that's what it comes down to, get yeah. a quarterback, there will be teams that take it. We've seen this year teams were interested in moving back, but they didn't end up moving back and no no one was offered because of the whole coronavirus thing and all the other things. You can't really get a full examination on the quarterback. But next year it won't be like that, hopefully. And, you know, there's raw talent there with a lot of quarterbacks. So there might be a chance that that's what the Patriots are signing up to do. And if they do that, I think they could easily go bad for one year and come back the next year. They could be like the Warriors of basketball. Just be bad for one year and come back with a great pick and either draft or move it, you know, and could be great again. First of all, no. <laughs> I don't want to see that at all. I just want to – if Jerison is the answer, let's give it another 20 years. And if Trevor Lawrence is the answer – and if Jerison isn't the answer, and Trevor Lawrence is another 20 years. Whatever happens, I was actually glad that we didn't draft the quarterback this year. Mm-hmm. So. And that makes the rest of the NFL sad. <laughs> Either way – <laughs> Let's talk about the quarterbacks who were drafted in their projected positions. Joe Burrow, obviously, the first overall pick to the Cincinnati Bengals. Tua Tagovailoa to the Miami Dolphins. And Justin Herbert to the Chargers. So, who do you think will be the most successful out of the three next season? I'll go first with the Mr. Number One pick, the man that will be given the reins the first day. Unlike the other two options with Tua and Herbert, that's kind of the main reason I didn't take them is because if you're going to talk about the most success next season and emphasis on next season, you have to be playing next season. And as, as of now, you can I would safely assume that the Dolphins and the 
Chargers are not planning on playing their court, rookie quarterbacks next year, and Burrow's going to be the one starting. And if you look at the Bengals' offense, they're not terrible. They're not great. They have a weak line still. They have good weapons. They have Mixon, which is a top 10 running back. But they have three decent receivers with Boyd, Green, and Higgins. And if you want to include John Ross into that, or if you don't, that's <laughs> up to you. Um, there's, there's kind of a thing going on there, which maybe is a year early. Maybe we'll see Joe Burrow break out a year later. But if you're going to talk about best for next season, they have to play next season. And just for that reason alone, with the offense they have in Cincinnati, they're going to be – all right. You'll see a lot of what Kyler Murray did with Arizona. They won't win a lot of games, but they'll, you'll see them have a lot of sparks and compete. And you might even see them go pick up a few pieces during the season because it starts, their offense starts to work out a little bit better with it. And that's the type of thing I see with Cincinnati. Joe Rural is going to have his ups and downs, but mostly going to be ups next year, which as a Steelers fan, not what I'm really liking. <laughs> uh, I really hate to say it, but um, I think that too of it. I will actually have the better season next next year. Even though um, they have two other quarterbacks already, Josh Rosen and uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, those two are both – like, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a bridge uh, quarterback where when you have, like, an off – when you don't have actually a number one quarterback, those, he'll fill in the spot, which they did last year. They, they, they won some games at the end. They were pretty interesting to watch. But now that they have two, uh, I feel like they have to use them because, like, your other two quarterbacks aren't worth that. And we see that they're – Offense is actually pretty fire. They have Devontae Parker. They now have um, they have two running backs, even though they're kind Jordan of like, old. Hey, Matt Breida is pretty good. Matt Breida is not. Okay. Not Let me ask you one question, Gab. So you did pick Tua. Um, if you were the GM or the coach that gets in charge of this decision, are you starting Tua week one? Okay, so I probably wouldn't. St- yeah, I'd have to. I'd have to. I'd have to. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll stick with my answer. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'll start again. I think quarterback's obviously the hardest position on the field, right? You have to learn a lot more. And for someone like Tua, you have to have to understand the fully the full offense, you know. Uh, Even though their offense has some pieces, it's not fully there yet. And they're not gonna have the off season to work on anything. I think that's a very good big point for them. Like you you know you have Ryan Fitzpatrick who's been under that system and is a great mentor. Well you've seen it with Sam Darnold or Think about the wrong person. Who was he before? With uh, he was with the Jameis for a year and all the other places. Ryan Fitzpatrick's been, but you know he's a good mentor and he could bring up quarterbacks. So I see something like that. Josh McCown. Yeah, Josh McCown. He's gonna take that type of role. So we'll see how it goes. No, fuck it. We we already know Miami is a shit show. Let's uh, let's get to win there. Well, I hate to say, but both of you are wrong in that I think that Justin Herbert is the guy in L.A. I almost said San Diego there, but L.A. And simply because this, look, you have a situation in Cincinnati, I think, where it is a ridiculously tough division to be in right now. And Cincinnati was literally the worst out of them all, right? But now you got the Steelers. They got Big Ben returning. Good on you, D. And then we have Lamar. Great day for us. <laughs> Lamar is uh, obviously going to be Lamar and then you have the Cleveland Browns they weren't the dream team that everyone was expecting them to be but they'll be better next year hopefully maybe and that's a tough division to basically be successful in. and I think that you know you brought up a good case where you know it's just about 
you know, Kyler Murray, you want to see some kind of promise. You want to kind of show some potential. But I think it's going to be really hard for Burrow to succeed. And then as well as Tua, I think, you know, it's hard for him to be able to start because not just because you want to have him develop um, behind Fitzpatrick for a little bit, but also you have some injury concerns with him, right? You don't want to start him right away. Now with Herbert, let's just talk facts here, right? It's not a great division that he's in right now. The Broncos are showing some promise, but that's like, it's just right now variable at this moment. The Chiefs are obviously the champs. And then you got the Raiders who are just the Raiders. There will always be the Raiders at this point. Now you got the Chargers. You have this promising team that was just able to make the playoffs just a year ago. And now that all the Melvin Gordon drama is gone, Austin Eckler is your main guy, right? You still have that defense. Hopefully that is not as injured anymore, right? And then you have all these um, pieces now. You still got Keenan Allen still there. Now you have Hunter Henry. Again, hopefully he's not injured for like half the season. But you've got a lot of uh, potential that you can work with there. And I think that they want Herbert to start mainly because, you know, you want to get that experience for him, even though, you know, you have Tyrod Taylor there. But at the same time, what do the Chargers struggle with the most? Their fans. They have no fans and they have no way to bring in fans. And, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when the whole COVID-19 thing happened was, thank God we don't have to have sell tickets anymore to the opposing team. And maybe we don't have to fight through our own crowd noise. They need people to come to the stands. And Justin Herbert will go out there and he will bring people to the stands. And that's why I think he will have the most successful season because he will start just because the Chargers are desperate. And with the weapons that the Chargers have, I think that he will thrive in that system. I would disagree with you on one point there that you have, Matt. I thought you brought up some great points. That mm-hmm. is that I don't see him starting week one. I think you'll see a very similar to – I think this Chargers team is very similar to the Browns from two years ago when they drafted Baker. They had great weapons. They had, you know, Jarvis. They had um, – well, they drafted Nick Chubb. We didn't know he was going to be as great as he was. But, mm-hmm. you know, they had weapons around Baker before he got there. And then you saw – Tyrod start not Baker you saw Tyrod start and you've seen him even though he was playing average football he wasn't playing the worst and he wasn't playing the greatest he was playing average football out there that they benched him and when he got an injury and then they gave chance to Baker and he flashed I think you'll see the same from Justin Herbert I think you're going to give him a chance maybe week four a week five and maybe it's due to a Tyrod injury maybe it's just either one and four or two and three you know the Chargers are not unlike the other two teams we talked about with Miami and Cincinnati, which are trying to work, they rebuild their team. They got players that are trying to win right now. You don't go out and sign a veteran, Chris Harris Jr. You don't go out and draft or sign two O-linemen to try to fix, protect your quarterback unless you thought you were going to have someone back there that's worth protecting, you know? So Justin Herbert's that guy. And I think by mid maybe like a quarter of the season in, you'll see him start very similar to what the Browns did two years ago where Tyrod gets benched. And Tyrod is also very similar to Ryan Fitzpatrick, where he's a high IQ quarterback. He knows what he's talking about, and he'll be able to show the next level of quarterback because you know eventually they're going to give the keys to the car to Herbert and let him take their franchise. Why else would you draft him six? Yeah, and I think that Chargers are making a lot of win-now moves, maybe because, you know, they were expecting a different kind of quarterback to come over, a certain older quarterback. but. Now that they have Herbert there, I think that if he was given the reins, and I completely agree with you, G. I think Tyrod will start probably for the first couple of games, 
And I think it's going to be very similar to a Baker Mayfield situation where either he is so mediocre that they kick him off the field or he gets hurt and then Herbert comes in and they just stick with him. But I think he exits in the first quarter of the season and I think you see Herbert come in there and shine. But now, you know, let's kind of take a broader perspective. You know, we've covered everyone else's teams. Let's just cover our own teams for a little bit. How did you guys feel about your drafts, your team's drafts at least? Why don't you start us off, Matt? Your team did great this year. I think we did wonderful this year, honestly, because we fulfilled every positional need that I think we had to fill. Uh, we got basically with our first pick, we got a defensive tackle. And while I kind of hated it initially because it was no CD Lamb, it's not a flashy pick, but it's a pick that's going to help us in the future because if Boris Buckner's gone, you obviously have to replace him. And Javon Kinlaw is as good a replacement as you can get with that pick. And then we did get a wide receiver later, Brandon Ayuk. I think um, he's got some stuff to work on, but I think he fits the Shanahan scheme very well. He's a very good uh, yards after catch, and he's a great route runner. So I'm excited for him. And I think it's more about the moves that we made during the draft, though. We got Trent Williams, basically. Man. We're almost next to nothing, right? That was incredible. And we could have had Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa at the 13th overall pick. But we knew that we had a deal maybe in place. And John Lynch, he's a gambler. And John Lynch is the best yeah. in the league. I'm not going to – there's no other way to put it. He, <laughs> he There was three weak positions. Staley retired. Buckner was traded. Manuel was released – or wasn't released. He didn't sign back. He's a free agent, so, yeah. And he, he was a free agent and left, right? So the, what they do is they go out and address each and every single position. Even though Trent Williams is obviously not a rookie, he was the best left tackle in the league. And he didn't hasn't played a year, so he's gonna be fresh and is better than Joe Staley was when he retired. Maybe right. at the peaks it's a different conversation, but with Trent Williams, you're getting one of the best two or three ten left tackles to protect Jimmy G, and there's an absolutely great pickup for them. And uh, the only thing is, he did punch Richard Sherman in the face maybe a couple years ago. So I, that's think, I hope they'll be over it for them. And um, but yeah, with their actual picks though. Uh, Kinlaw and Brandon Ayuk, absolutely amazing. I thought Brandon Ayuk was one of the lesser receivers that was talked about because he's from ASU, and I think he's going to be one of those receivers where you look back and you're going to say, wow, why was three or four receivers taken before him? How is he that flow? Because of the Shanahan system, you know, he's the guy that fits. It's all about fit, you know. Just mm -hmm. like the Raiders with rugs, this makes a lot of sense for the Niners. They're going to see him come out and at a third and long and take a jet sweep across the field or be throwing a screen on a short or second and short you know you're going to see a lot of that from the Niners which you already see with Debo that's why when they went and draft Debo people were confused and you see him implemented into their offense and you're like wow that makes so much sense Kyle Shanahan yeah. and Lynch are great at finding talent for what their needs are and what their system is and that's exactly what they did again I think Shanahan is able to bring some of the best out of the players that he has, but when he chooses his players, I think he can turn them into stars. And I think that's what hopefully we get to see out of Ayuk. But how about you, G? What do you think of your draft? I mean, we could did a lot with nothing in a sense. I mean, we took our first round pick and traded it to Miami for Minka Fitzpatrick. And wow, was that a great idea. So if you consider that as our first round, we got the best first round pick in the draft with Minka Fitzpatrick. He's a <laughs> all pro safety. He, 
is amazing at all levels. He's like one of these new hybrid type of safeties. He gets the picks. He gets tackles. He does everything you need. Amazing. If you want to consider it a pick or not, it was a first round for Minka. So the way I see it, Zara is our first round pick. And it was an absolutely amazing picker. Um, second round pick, I got we got one of the Scott Combine stars in Chase Claypool. If you remember watching the Combine, I don't know if you guys did, but I did. And there was one one receiver out of all the CDs, the Jerry Judys, the Rugs, anybody you can think of at receiver that made – there's not a single receiver that made a bigger splash during the combine than Chase Claypool because he's a tight end wide receiver hybrid who ran at the speed of a Judy or a CD Lamb, but it's still 6'4". That's very, very hard to find. And, you know, his, like, mechanics of a little bit off, but that's something you can work with. You know, Steelers aren't going to ask him to be the one. They're going to ask him to be number two, getting maybe the third or fourth most touches on that team. You have Juju. You have Deontay Johnson as our slot receiver. We're going to have Claypool play on one side and some at tight end. We have um, Eric Ebron now, too, so we're not going to need him as much there. So you're going to see him get moved around a lot. And it take him a while, but I think by the second half of the season, that's an amazing pickup for us. We got another pass rusher, which I can't be mad about. I mean, what the Steelers is for me is that I always question their picks, and then three weeks into the season, there's this rookie always going around making crazy plays for us. I'm like, where was this guy? And I don't know, Steelers find talent. They're one of the best drafting teams. So I'm not usually worried about what they pick up, and I know that whatever they pick is going to be a really good pickup for us. Um, senior last year with Deontay Johnson, you'll see the year before with Juju, you know, and all these other people, T.J. Watt, everybody like that, Ryan Shazier, you see Devin Bush, all these guys are like, well, the Steelers drafted him, and then you see them play, and they go crazy for us, and I think that's what you'll see again this year. Yeah, no, I think that Paul Claypool is actually a great pickup just because you need to get some of that uh, attention away from Juju, right? And Claypool is that big kind of threat at wide receiver. And I could see a lot of red zone opportunities just for him. And I really like Deontay Johnson too. So I think that it could free him up just a little bit more. And I saw you uh, pick up that Minka Fitzpatrick jersey, G. I know Man, you Yeah, yeah. I just came in like last week and it's amazing already. I can't <laughs> wait to go back dominating the NFL like we should be. Okay. <laughs> I mean, um, the Patriots. I, I, I kind. I was okay with the Patriots drafted. Um, again, we're drafting for the future, and so like we drafted two tight ends. We filled that void. Uh, we didn't draft a wide receiver, which is still sad. We're banking on Junior Edelman still. <laughs> we have that useless ass. Um, I forgot his name. That, that's how fucking much I hate him so much. Mom is new. Mohamed Sanu, Marquis Lee, too. Marquis Lee is on the Patriots? Damn. <laughs> God damn. Dude, we also have another USSS pitch, Damier. Um, I'm going to say his name. Damier Bird, you know, from the um, Cardinals. Oh. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. What you about the Mikhail Harry? Last year, too, right? Yeah. Huh? Mikhail Harry? Well, I mean, okay, that's the only guy, uh, Mikhail Harry. I wish he, he showed well, if he's healthy. Yeah, he's, at least he's healthy. One, two, three, three. Um, again, we didn't draft yeah, a wide receiver. I like that we picked up uh, Josh Uche. How did I say his last name? Josh I, Uche? I think that's how you say it. Yeah, I like that because just because I, how much I love um, Michigan players because of Tom Brady. <laughs> okay. And also, um, the dynamic duo between him and uh, what's it called? 
Uh, Chase Winovich, Jesus Christ. It's going to be amazing. I'm really looking forward for uh, the next year's draft. Uh, I, that's what I was going to look for. Just need the Patriots trade down, down a lot of picks just so they can get a next year draft pick. And yeah. that tells you that they're in the next year's draft. <laughs> Even though their talent might be higher than this year where there were a lot more skills position players and stuff, you do know that the Patriots are always like – one of the top four or five teams in hitting draft picks properly. They always get the players they need. They address the need and position. Everything they usually draft is usually a good player. It's usually nine out of ten, I would say, for the Patriots picks. Um, yeah. And I think even though they did start off the draft by drafting back-to-back tight ends, you know, they know that they're not going to be the game changers. But when you get a quarterback in there and then next year you draft a couple weapons, those tight ends then will make a bigger impact. You know, Belichick's always thinking long-term playing chess, not checkers, like you said earlier, Gav. And I think the same thing with these picks. You might not like them right now, but you will when they're back at the top eventually, but hopefully never. Next year. (laughs) But hopefully never. That's how I feel, too. I think if you understand understand what the Patriots' plans are, then you can't be mad at the draft. Everyone knows it's happening now. You can kind of say this is at all aligned after this draft. God, I hope not. (laughs) But it seems like everyone's pretty happy with the draft. And honestly, considering the circumstances of how the draft was, uh, the timing of the draft, I guess, it was handled probably with the best possible scenario. I think, you know, people liked draft coverage overall, other than the Mm -hmm. fact, you know, it seems like ESPN was doing a lot of tragic stories out there, though. It's kind of weird. I think what they implemented with Roger Goodell was very funny. Um, uh-huh. The tragic stories, like you said, were very awkward and unnecessary for some points. And it's the draft. It's supposed to be like one of the more uplift, uplifting times where people are, dreams are accomplished. And then you bring up stuff that such negativeness in their life. And, you know, I feel like a little bit unnecessary, but, you know, they choose to cover what they cover. But yeah. all I'm going to say before we end up here is uh, watch out for the Steelers next year. I'm okay. predicting 11 and 5, 10 and 6. Um, we might not win the division unless you know Jackson gets hit with the Madden curse, which never you never know. But you know, we're coming next year. That's all I know. Okay. All I know is it, it there's so much help from fucking Juju because I have him on my dynasty. Just like please. Yeah, my man's on Fortnite. All right, let him practice on Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Get back on the field, bro. I need you to produce. Well, hopefully that there will be still a season next year. And it's looking upwards. Hopefully, by our next podcast or so, we will be out of quarantine and we will be able to discuss football freely. But from all of us here at Sports Council, we hope you are staying safe and thank you for watching. Yep, have a good one. See you guys.